Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Ralph Deal. I'm the senior pastor here at New Hope. I got saved back in 1971. Been uh, been growing ever since. Had some uh, some uh, times I've tripped up and made some mistakes. Uh, learned the hard way, but I've been learning ever since. Uh, one of the things you need to do if you're going to grow is learn to follow Jesus, um, because you see Jesus in the Old Testament. Maybe not under that name, but he's there. He's in the New Testament. He's always doing something Amen. in people's lives, always doing something really cool in this world. Never ceases to amaze me. One of the things that I have the benefit of saying is I've been the pastor of this church since 1980, and it is amazing how many lives I have seen God change Amen. over the years. As a matter of fact, some of those stories are you right here this morning. It's really, really cool. Uh, and I expect it to continue because God's still the same God. Amen. And people are still the same messed up people. Amen. And God wants to take messes and clean them up. Come on. That's really cool. So we're going to talk this morning uh, about a story, starting a series that we're, we're going to be starting this morning called Follow Me. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that, that phrase, follow me, is found again and again and again in the Bible. So there's lots of opportunities for us to dig into the follow me concept. But we're going to look at one today that, uh, that's in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there with me, uh, you can follow along. One of the things I want to say is uh, Chris, Christians are very big proponents of the idea of believing we have to believe. And that's, that's true. That's important. Because more important than believing, you need to understand, is, is acting it. I don't mean pretending. I mean action steps. Living it. Believing is one thing. Acting on it is another. The way you see a miracle is when you act on it. We're going to see a story where that is demonstrated here in the Bible and uh, I want to, in a very practical way, teach you a little bit this morning about how to, uh, to follow the Lord from this story. So let's read through it first, Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Peter, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. 
Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And by the way, where many people gather and pray, that's called a church. Doesn't make any difference if it's a church building or your back porch. Where many people are gathered together praying, that's a church. A church is the assembly of the saints. It's not a building. So I want to I point out seven concepts, and, and uh, we've got a lot of things happen today. One of the things I have to figure out is how do I keep this font from shrinking up? <laughs> because I had a big enough to read a little bit ago, and all of a sudden when I picked it up, so you see me lifting my eyes, you know why. Seven things, seven principles from this story about following God. Number one, God waits to the last minute. It says in verse six, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. The night before, come on, God, cut us a little slack. Why do you wait to the last minute? How many know God waits to the last minutes from experience? See, all over this room, their hands up. That God waits to the last minute. Why does he do that? He's trying to teach his patience. Patience, the P word. Nobody likes patience. I hate patience. I wish I could stand up here this morning and teach you patience. But patience cannot be taught. It's got to be caught. You have to experience patience. I'm a very impatient person. I got a sneaky suspicion I'm not the only one in this room. I'm very impatient. I mean, we want instant everything. We want it right now. But God's just not that way. Sometimes he does, but it's instantly at the last minute, just before. And that blows your mind. Well, that's what he wanted to do in the first place. Blow your mind. Show you that he's really faithful and going to be there. God works on his schedule, not your schedule. There is a difference between you and your schedule and what you intend to do for God and God's schedule and his timing and what he wants you to do for him. There's a vast difference there. A whole lot of Christians spend their whole life trying to tell God what they want to do for him. He's not interested in what you in your natural strength and finances and abilities can do for yourself. He's not interested in that. He's interested in what you will say yes to that you can't do. So he then has to do a miracle to make it happen. That's what he's interested in. That's number one. That's the first key. Here's the second thing I want us to see from this story about following Jesus. God is rarely gentle with us. I know you don't want to hear that because we like to think of God being this warm, fuzzy teddy bear. We can crawl up on his lap and he just loves and gentle. I'm so appreciative that sometimes he's that way, but he's just not that way with me. It doesn't work that way. But God wants to talk to me. He kind of he does what he wants to do with Peter here, where it says in verse first part of verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Come on, God, how about a little tap? A gentle, gentle shake. Why, why do you got to strike people? 
Why does he have to strike me? Why does he have to strike you? Why is he so rough with us? He just doesn't, God doesn't have much patience with my stubbornness, with my pride, with my arrogance, with my self-will, with my failure, with my disappointment. He just doesn't have much patience with that. He wants me to believe him for great things. He wants me to do what, what action steps I need to take so that he can prosper me and bless me, bring great breakthroughs in my life. That's what he wants to do. He's really gentle. God's more like my father than like my mother. My mother was the gentle touch. She'd sit me down and explain things to me and try to coach me to make right decisions. When I was in the army, she'd send me articles in the mail. She wanted me to read. I wasn't particularly interested in what my mom was telling me about my moral behavior when I was in the army. (laughs) My dad wouldn't like that. He wasn't very gentle. He gave me an assignment to do. I better do it. There's a price to pay if I didn't. See, the God that I serve, my experience tells me he's more like my father than like my mother. God just seems to want to jerk the slack out of me, straighten me up, get me going in the right direction. But he loves me no less than my mother. Just two different sides. God's very rarely gentle with us. So quit getting upset with him when he gets tough. That's the way he is. If you want God's favor in your life, you have to deal with it. Here's here's the third principle. There's always an action step to take. Always an action step. The Gospels are full of Jesus telling people to go do something. And then a miracle happened when they did it. Things like totally unreasonable things, like spit in the mud, make mud, put it on somebody's eyes, and then tell them to go wash it off. Why put it on if you're going to tell them to wash it off? It's in the washing off the miracle happened. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. You wouldn't like it if somebody invited themselves to your house. But Jesus did that. Zacchaeus took him to his house. Great blessing happened that day because Zacchaeus come down out of the tree. What if Zacchaeus would have said, oh, Lord, I like it up here. I got a bird's eye view up here. I can see you real good. I can see the whole crowd. I can see everything happening. I like it up here. I'm not coming down out of this tree. I got the best seat in the house. What would have happened? Nothing. He would have just sat in a tree till Jesus had passed by and then he'd come down and receive nothing. He always gives us an action step, something to do. If you do it, the miracle happens. If you don't do it, nothing happens. I wonder if we got some people here today that aren't taking any action steps and they're waiting on Jesus to do a miracle. Listen, I tell you, miracles don't happen if you don't take action steps. He always gives you something to do. And when you do it, breakthrough comes. That's the way God works. 
In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Jesus said again, or Jesus didn't say it, it's about Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Listen, Jesus isn't the only one giving action steps. There's a devil out there. You've never seen him, but that doesn't mean he's not real. He is a spiritual force, and he's constantly, in, uh, he's constantly inviting us to follow him, giving us action steps, promising things. Satan has always promised things. Why in the world would we waste our time turning on television and watching stuff? Why would we do that? Because there's some kind of an expectation that comes. We expect something out of this. I'm, I'm going to be entertained. I'm going to laugh a little bit, light myself up, or, or there's going to be some action, and the good guys are going to win. Then I go away feeling good. There's an expectation. But in reality, it's all fiction. Because as soon as you shut the show off, all that's gone. And you're right back where you started. So why do we do that? There's this invitation that says, my life will be better. Hollywood will make my life better if I just watch these shows. They give us this fictitious idea of what is normal, and it's as abnormal as the day is long. It's going to bring judgment on our life, but Hollywood wants to sell us this bill of sale that these are all good things that are going to help us. They're going to help us bring some kind of blessing in our life. The opposite's true. We always have a temptation to follow others, follow Hollywood, follow whoever we follow on, online. There's this great temptation that's going to make our life better. Never works. Have you learned that yet? Not going to work. Only Jesus satisfies. So Satan says, follow me. He disguises himself all kinds of different ways, but he's saying the same thing, follow me. And Jesus is saying, follow me, and we get to decide which way we're going to go. Come on, we get to decide our destiny Amen. by who we're listening to. Here's uh, number four, the fourth thing. God goes before us. It says here in uh, verse 8, Then the angel told him, said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel said. You know, an angel, the Greek word angel is angelos, and it means messenger. So these angels appear to give us a message from God. So it wasn't the angel that said, follow me. It was God said, follow me. I'm going to bring a breakthrough in your life. I'm gonna, there's going to be a change happening in your life. But you've got to get dressed. You've got to follow me. That's the message. You've got to follow me. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll be blessed. You'll be successful. You'll prosper. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to that. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Oh, that doesn't mean you can't get a good job. That doesn't mean you can't make a good income. That doesn't mean you can't go... Uh, Buy a nice house, nice vehicle, take expensive vacations. It doesn't mean you can't do that. You can do that in the natural. 
but you can't take any of that with you. Nothing. So I'm talking to you today about things of eternal value, things that you can take with you, yes. things, treasures that you store up in heaven yes. for the future. We have to keep our eyes on that because you will not live forever. Those of us in this room, the statistics are about 100% of us, we're all going to die. Unless a trumpet sounds and the Lord comes back, we're all going to die. And you can't take anything with you. The only thing we have with us in heaven is those treasures we've stored up in heaven. There is an exception to that rule, though. And that's your friends, your children, your loved ones. You can take them with you. Did you know that? Okay. So following Jesus is a lifestyle. Yes. You, you hear that him saying that? You don't follow Jesus today because it's Sunday. You follow Jesus every day of your life. Right. It becomes a lifestyle. You develop a habit, a pattern of saying no, 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 and yes, yes, yes. You learn how to observe the difference between Satan's uh, giving you some bait and God giving you some bait. You learn the difference. It takes a while, but we develop that. This is what Christianity is, learning how to make right decisions. And one of those decisions is following Jesus. Here's principle number five. God sees clearly. You don't. You get that concept? We learn, learn this from verse 9 where it says, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. We call that being in a fog. He's going through life, going through steps, making decisions, going through doors, walking through his life, but he's not really sure it's happening. You know, this is a good, good description of your walk with God, my walk with God. God is working on my left. He's working on my right. He's working above me, below me, behind me, ahead of me. God is working all around me, but I don't see him. I'm just living my own life, doing the right thing I think to do, and all around me, God's working. God's working. God sees clearly. I don't. So I need God to lead the way. Because I don't know where I'm going. I've never been down this way before. I've never dealt with these kind of problems before. But God sees clearly. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, it says, For those who are led of the Spirit of God, that's following, following Him, He's, he's ahead of you, so you're, you're, He's leading you, are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic name that means Papa, yes. Daddy, like what a child would refer to as their father. The God that I know and I serve and I work with doesn't want to be my teddy bear. He's, he's the God of the universe. He created this whole universe. He can wipe me off the face of the earth in no time. He's a tough guy. 
and he sees clearly. And I want to be led by him. And when I recognize I'm led by him, I recognize that he's my papa. He's not this supreme dictator up in heaven with a big stick just waiting to knock me flat. He wants to put his arms around me. Wants to coach me just like a father coaches his son in a soccer game. He wants to coach me. Okay, before I go to point number six, the people being baptized can go ahead and go to the dressing room. We're going to be baptizing some folks here in a little bit. You can go ahead and get in position. Number six, the rest of you get to listen. The rest of you pay no attention to those folks leaving. You pay attention in a little bit. God points us in the right direction. I walk it. He points me in the right direction. I have to walk it out. He doesn't do it for me. In verse 10, it says, They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Did, did you get that? The angel said, follow me, let him down the halls, through the doors, out into the street, and then disappears. He led him out of the major problem and pointed him in the right direction and then disappears. It's up to Peter to take the next step. That's a picture of you and your relationship with God. He delivers us. But we are a part of our own deliverance. That's right. People don't go to a deliverance session. Would you pray for me and deliver me all on their own? They may do that. They may want delivered, but they have to make some decisions on their own if they're going to be delivered. God's delivered me from so much junk in my past. But it was because I had to make the change. He pointed me in the right direction, but I'm the one that had to take that pack of cigarettes and throw it away. I'm the one that had to make my mind up. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm the one that had to decide what I'm going to do with the future of my life. There's some action steps I have to take. But I'm a part of my own deliverance. Here's number seven, the last point. So I'm coming to the end. I'm not going to preach all day. We always end up connecting to the church. You know what the church is? It's the assembly of the saints. It's when believers come together. We cross-pollinate. People from different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, in a lot of cases, different races from different cultures. Our native language is different, but it's believers. When we all come together, that's the church. And it doesn't have to be in a, a beautiful building like this. It can be in a barn can be in your living room. We got people this morning watching this service online in their living room. Yes. You're in church. Amen. You're assembling together with us. I love this phrase in verse 12. When this had dawned on him, I love that phrase because I know what it means. Have you ever had things dawn on you? Oh my goodness. 
Never saw that before. Dawned on him. When it dawns on you that you need Jesus, you need to get connected to a church. Yes. I've, I've learned this about the church. We think differently in the church. We don't all think alike. We don't all vote alike. Come on. We're different. There's diversity in the body of Christ. Yes. We're not all thumbs. We're not all kneecaps. We're not all ears. The body of Christ has lots of different parts. And I'm wrong to try to force everybody else to be like me. I understand the body of Christ is very diverse, very different, which means the fact that I have to love you, I'm required by the Bible to love you, means I have to put up with some of you sometimes. (laughs) And you have to put up with me. We're in the body of Christ together. We're moving in a common direction, but we're not all doing it exactly the same. I I probably shouldn't tell this, but I will. When I went to Bible school, it was a small junior Bible college called Christian Training Center. And all the teachers there were all Pentecostal, charismatic from that perspective. The church was was a uh, charismatic church in Fort Wayne, uh, and I learned a lot about how to do church. And when I became a pastor, I applied a whole lot of those things. As time went on, I felt like, you know, I have a little extra time now because we have a lot of help, a lot of people are doing a lot of things. I probably ought to go back and further my education. So I went to a school uh, called Trinity Bible College and Theological Seminary. I did it online, which means I had to read all kinds of books, listen to all kinds of lectures, write all kinds of essays. It was a whole lot of work. But it was a cross-denominational school. So you had Nazarene teachers, you had Baptist teachers, you had a little bit of everything teachers in it. And I was fascinated as I was listening to these other professors teaching a concept that I needed to hear from a whole other angle. And I learned that the Nazarenes, are, they, they focus in their theology from this perspective. The Baptists focus on something else. The Methodists focus on something else. The Lutherans focus on something else. They're all Christians. And I learned that there's all kinds of facets to this thing of believing in God. And I began to get some whole new fresh ideas because now I'm listening to professors from different perspectives and I'm getting a balanced view of what the church is supposed to be. It's very helpful to me. If you and I would sit down and talk with some of our Christian brothers and sisters and listen to the reasons they vote the way they do and how they feel the way they do, we might learn something. Because we spend all our time indoctrinating ourselves on our political view. You only get our news from one news source. And we only get one side of the perspective. When God's a whole lot bigger than that. A whole lot bigger than that. You see, the church is a community of faith. Believers who come together. And we cross-pollinate. I help you, you help me. We learn from each other in our spiritual journey. Those of you that are watching online, I'm talking to you right now. When you're ready, you can come back into the house. This is a good place to be.
because here there's a whole lot of people that invest something into your life and they need you investing in their life. So while you're watching, welcome. We're glad you're here. We look forward to seeing you back in the house. One of the best ways to follow Jesus, to follow the path that he gives us, is by doing what he tells us to do. And sometimes it's listening to that still, small voice as he speaks into our heart. And sometimes it's just reading his word. When you read the word, and you see again and again, it tells us that we need to be baptized in water. It doesn't take long to figure out, this is what I ought to do. I need to do what the Bible tells me to do. 